بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وآله الطاهرين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله and welcome to this podcast series of a commentary on نهج البلاغة by Mizan Institute ومنها يعني آل النبي عليه الصلاة والسلام هم موضع سره ولجأ أمره وعيبة علمه وموئل حكمه وكهوف كتبه وجباد دينه بهم أقام حناء ظهره وأذهب ارتعاد فرائصه after the Imam uh, speaks of the Holy Prophet and then the times of Jahiliyyah and shows us how bad and dark those times were to illustrate for us how great the, what the Prophet did was, he moves on to the the, the progeny of the Holy Prophet The Ahlul Bayt were here according to the way Sayyid al-Radi has titled it. He says, al nabi the progeny of the Holy Prophet here the Imam gives a brief yet deep description of the progeny of the Holy Prophet sallallahu alaihi wa the Ahlul Bayt Now a Shia who reads this will of course know who the Imam is referring to. He's referring to the Imams of the Ahlul Bayt Those who are not from the Shia school of thought, they might have different opinions on this. But for us, it's very clear that Imam Ali salam, especially given the descriptions that he gives, is speaking of a select. Uh, group from the progeny and descendants of the Holy Prophet which are the Ahlul Bayt and the Imams of Ahlul Bayt and so the Imam begins by uh, giving us six short yet sweet and also very thorough um, descriptions of the Ahlul Bayt and what they're all about so he begins and right from the get-go you can tell wow there's something special about this group he says home these Ahlul Bayt are Mawdi'u Sirrihi. They are, uh, the translation here says, the trustees of his secrets. I want to explain this a little bit. But before I get into the explanations, um, there is one thing to discuss. We have uh, in these descriptions pronouns. And there are different opinions on who these pronouns go back to. Uh, and I'll share what I think as well. And what I'm more inclined towards in my very humble opinion. Uh, so I'll go through the English real quick first discuss the pronouns, and then we'll come back and uh, discuss each of these separately, each of these descriptions separately. So it says they are the trustees of his secrets. His secrets. Okay, who is this his referring to? Shelter for his affairs. Source of knowledge about him. Center of his wisdom. Valleys for his books and mountains of his religion. Okay, so some have said that uh, some of the pronouns here, or most of them are going back to Allah. Some of them might go back to the Prophet. Some have said that they're all going back to the Prophet And there is also an opinion that they're all referring to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. All of the pronouns here are referring to Allah. And that is what I'm personally inclined towards because of the context clues that we have within this excerpt. I don't want to go into it too much. It's not that important. Uh, in the end, it all goes back. They all, Whether we take the pronouns to refer to the Prophet or Allah, all in all, the message is pretty clear. So I will uh, be translating and explaining based on this understanding that the pronouns are referring to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it says they are, these Ahlul Bayt are Mawdi'u Sirrihi. Mawdi'u Sirrihi, the translation says trustees of his secrets, which is not a bad translation, but Mawdi' in Arabic means a place where you put something, where you can leave something and that is the right place to put it. Mawdi'u Sirrihi, they are the place where you will find the secrets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
And so here the commentators have rightfully explained how there are some ma'arif, there's some knowledge and ma'rifah out there that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not given to everybody. There are some who are the carriers of this knowledge. This is special knowledge. It is a knowledge that you have to have the capacity for or else you won't be able to bear that knowledge. Not everyone has the capacity for such knowledge, but the Ahlul Bayt do, and so they carry this knowledge that Allah has given them. It's a very special knowledge. And this is where the famous hadith or account of Abu Dhar versus Salman al-Farsi comes to mind. And some, if not all of you, have heard this story. That It's not actually a story, it's a, it's a saying that لَوْ عَلِمَ أَبُوْ ذَرْ مَا فِي قَلْبِ سَلْمَانْ لَقَتَلَهُ It's a famous saying uh, that the Imam said that if Abu Dhar, that famous companion of Amir al-Mu'minin alayhi salam, that famous companion of the Holy Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa he's a very great individual, but if he knew what's in the heart of Salman al-Farsi, which is one of the greatest companions of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa if he knew what's in his heart, he would have killed him. Now here they've explained what is meant by that. They say, look, Salman al-Farsi, he carried a knowledge that he had, that Allah had given him, or the Holy Prophet had given him, that if Abu Dhar was to have that knowledge, he would not understand the exact meaning of it. He would not have been able to carry that knowledge. He, For him, that knowledge might have been borderline, let's say, kufr or shirk, he would have seen it as. As a result, if he knew that Salman has such a knowledge, he would think Salman is is kafir, has left the fold of Islam, and he would have taken Salman's life. Now, we, we, we're here listening to this or hearing this, and we're just surprised. We're like, why would Abu Dhar do such a thing? But there are, you see some of this, even in this day and age, you will see people who have great wisdom, great knowledge, who are mystics sometimes. They will say certain things, that people will mis- will misunderstand. This this individual who is a very high rank of spirituality has reached an understanding. Allah has given him a knowledge that when he presents it to others or if he presents it to others, they won't understand it for what it really is and they'll think that this person is actually saying things that are borderline kufr or are in the territory and realm of kufr or shirk. And as a result, this person has left the fold of Islam. Because they don't have what it takes to understand it and to bear that knowledge. And so this is why some of the greatest that we know of throughout history, throughout the times, they would keep to themselves those realizations that Allah had given him, given them. Those enlightenments, those ma'rifas that they had reached, they knew that others are not ready to hear it. And so they won't say it. Now sometimes you're not ready to carry that knowledge in and of itself. Sometimes the person who's carrying it, if they want to present it to others, it goes through the filter of their wording, and they might word it in the in in a very in a not very accurate way, and as a result, that causes problems. All in all, they would keep their mouths shut. Usually, they will keep their mouths shut. And there is a famous saying by Imam Sajjad salam, if I remember correctly, that the ones that are given such knowledge they are told or they know that they have to keep their mouths shut about it as well. and they, 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 They're not to share it with others. Point being, brothers and sisters, that the Ahlul Bayt والسلام, they are maudu'u sirrillah. They are where Allah can place and put the knowledge, those secret, the secret knowledge that not everyone can bear, 
the knowledge that is not to be shared with everyone else, the knowledge that the normal people out there do not have the capacity to bear, to the point that a person like Abu Dhar might not even be able to bear that which Salman bears. And if he was to be told what Salman has, he would think that Salman has left the fold of Islam as if, according to one, at least one of the explanations and interpretations of that hadith of Law Alima Abu Dharma fi Qalbi Salman laqatala. Okay, so for, from here we understand how great the Ahl Bayt are that they carry such knowledge. But that's not all. Walaja'u amrihi. They are also the ones that the affair or affairs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are going to be taken care of with them. They're going to be safe with them. Here once again there is somewhat of a difference of, of opinion on what which affair is it talking about. Because amr is not plural, although I translated it to plural as well. I said affair or affairs. Um, that is a different story. I don't want to get into why we can do both. But all in all, whether it's affair or affairs, there's difference of opinion here. But they've said that what is for sure is the affair of wilaya, the affair of imama, that Allah can entrust them with. This is something that is very important to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so he needs a place that he can put this where it's going to be safe. This is going to be a place of refuge for it, a shelter for it. Where And who is that? That is the Ahl Bayt He will put his wilaya there because it's safe and protected there. People who sometimes might say, oh, you know, why didn't Allah choose us to be one of the infallibles? What was his criteria? Whatever his criteria was, what's for sure is that it has to be someone who can carry the load of this affair of wilaya. Now, as I said, that is the amount that we're sure about, according to some of the commentators of Nahjul Balagha. The wilaya is, what's, is surely the affair that he is speaking of here, but it might also mean all of the affairs that Allah cares about, that are important to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be carried out properly, to be protected and preserved. And so the Ahl Bayt are the ones chosen for that as well. وَعَيْبَةُ عِلْمِهِ عَيْبَةُ They say means a box in which you put secret things in. And so some have said, oh, aibatu ilmihi is the same as mawdi'u sirrihi that we covered a few minutes ago. The same way that they are the place where Allah can put his secrets, they are aibatu ilmihi. They are the place where Allah can put his secret knowledge in, the box that Allah puts his secret knowledge in. But since it has already said mawdi'u sirrihi, here when it says aibatu ilmihi, in my humble opinion, and according to some commentators of Nahjul Balagha as well, it's going to be different than mawdi'u sirrihi. When you bring them in the same sentence, when they come together in the same sentence, they probably have different meanings. Mawdi'u sirrihi, I would say, as I said, means the that special secret knowledge that not everyone can carry the burden of. So Allah places it there with them. But here when it says aibatu ilmihi, all in all, aibah can also mean a treasure box, a treasure chest. A box or a chest that holds something very valuable in it. Even if it's not something secret. Of course, when you put it in the box and you close the box, not everyone's going to have access to it. But all in all, the fact that it's in a treasure chest, it is locked up, shows that it's a valuable thing. And so sometimes this knowledge might be shared with others as well. Because look, it says, The place where the box in which Allah puts the valuable knowledge that He has in. This knowledge can be the secret knowledge. But it can also be the knowledge that is to be disseminated and shared with others. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has valuable knowledge, some of which can be shared, 
some of, it can, some of which cannot be shared, some of which is supposed to be kept a secret and not accessible to the people, Other of it, others of it, or other forms of it, that can be shared when people have questions about it or ask about it. That is the knowledge of the deen. That is the knowledge of the laws of Allah. That is the knowledge of the basic beliefs of Islam. So the, the Ahl Bayt alayhim they are the treasure chest in which all of the knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he wants to share with them is kept. They are the treasure chest in which the valuable knowledge of Allah is kept. And so when people have have questions about it, they will ask them. They will now look into that box, so to speak. And if that knowledge is knowledge that can be shared with the people, they will share it with the people. And if it's knowledge that is to be kept from them, it will be kept from them. But at the end of the day, they are the channel through which the knowledge of Allah flows and reaches the people, so the people can have access to that knowledge. So by following that knowledge, putting it to practice, they can secure their afterlives. They are also that place that you go to, that you refer to, for the hukum of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Here uh, in the translation, it says the center of his wisdom. I don't know if uh, I like that translation, but anyway, maw'il they've said is the mahal al-ruju' or it can also mean a, re- a place of refuge again. I like to take mahal al-ruju' here, which means um, a place where you refer to, where you go back to for something. So people will have differences of opinion. People will have, will have conflicts and conflicts of interest. People will have arguments and they'll fight over things sometimes. And so where do they go back to in the end so that they get their answer on who's in the right and who is in the wrong? Where do they go to get, and where do they go back to to get the hukum and ruling or verdict regarding what they are disputing in? Or they might have difference of opinion in? Well, they go back to, of course, they're supposed to go back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But no one has access to Allah directly. So who are they supposed to go to? They go to the Ahl Bayt salam. Of course, after the Holy Prophet So maw'ilu hukmihi. They are also the, the place you, the people refer to and go back to when they are looking for a verdict in regards to whatever they're going through. Maw'ilu hukmihi. The hukum of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If they want it, that's where they get it. Now there is another um, way to read this as well. Some have said it can be read which won't really cause any issue. It'll just mean that it is where they go back to for the different wisdoms of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If they want to gain access to the wisdoms, hikam, hikam is the plural of hikmah, that's where they go to. But personally, I prefer hukmihi in this context. They are the Kuhuf. Kuhuf is the plural of kaf. Kaf means cave, of course. Now here, the translation says valleys for his books. The translation I have in front of me, it says valleys of books. Okay, well, kuhuf usually will be translated to caves. And they say back then, uh, people, when they wanted to preserve something, one of the things they could do was to go find a remote cave that people usually won't access and put their more precious belongings there and hide it there. Once again, so here it's trying to say that it's a place where something can be safe, can be protected and preserved. 
So it says, وَكُهُوفُ كُتُبِهِ That the Ahlul Bayt are where the kutub of Allah, the books of Allah are preserved. So this is actually pretty interesting that it says this. It didn't say, وَكُهُوفُ كِتَابِهِ It said, كُهُوفُ كُتُبِهِ The caves of his books, Allah's books. Not his book, the Qur'an, but his books in plural form. And this shows that it's not just the Qur'an that is in the chest of the Ahlul Bayt It is all of the books of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he has sent down. Because as I've said before, the books of Allah, or the different religions and faiths even, let's go all the way back to Prophet Nuh, Prophet Ibrahim, all of the prophets, Prophet Isa, Prophet Musa, their sharia might have been different than Islam's sharia. The do's and don'ts might have been different. The laws might have been different. But the teachings, you won't find a difference. It's not like the God of Musa is different than the God of Isa. The God of Muhammad No, no, it's not like that. The, the beliefs and the belief system in all of them is the same. They all had prophethood. They all, they all had uh, tawheed. They all had ma'ad. They have all of these things. And so the books that they're going to have are going to have the same teachings. Yes, the laws might be different. But here, based on this, what we can find, what we can conclude is that the imams of Ahlul Bayt they have the teachings of all of the different faiths, which are the same, and also they have access to the Sharia of all of these different faiths, not just the Sharia and laws of Islam. That's very interesting. And so there's a famous hadith that Imam Ali he says, "Ama wallahi law thuniyat li wisadatun, fajalastu alaha." لَأَفْتَيْتُ أَهْلَ التَّوْرَاتِ بِتَوْرَاتِهِمْ وَأَفْتَيْتُ أَهْلَ الْإِنْجِيلِ بِإِنْجِيلِهِمْ And so on. The hadith goes on. وَأَفْتَيْتُ أَهْلَ الْقُرْآنِ بِقُرْآنِهِمْ So it's an interesting hadith where the imam, he says, if I was, now this is how I'll translate it, it says, if I was given the platform for it, I would have sat on that platform and I would pass verdicts for the followers of the Torah according to the Torah. I would tell them what they're supposed to do according to the Torah. The people of the Injil, I would tell them and pass verdicts on what they're supposed to do and the do's and don'ts based on their own book of Injil and the Quran, same thing. So it's very interesting that the Imam here, according to this saying, he is letting us know that he has the knowledge of all the previous uh, religions and faiths as well. And so, kuhufu kutubihi, that he says here in this part of the sermon is probably referring to this matter, that they have knowledge of the books of Allah and the books of Allah, the way they were revealed, not after they were altered, but the way they were revealed are in their chests, and those books will encompass the teachings of those faiths and those books, and also the the legalities and the laws within those religions and faiths. And finally, it says, Wajibalu dinihi. The Ahlul Bayt are the mountains of his religion, of Allah's religion. And this is beautiful. And so when it says that they are the mountains of the religion, what does that mean? That means the religion itself is like a land. This land, for it to stay the way it is, for it to be not to, for it to not be defaced and destroyed, it needs mountains. And this is something the Qur'an speaks of as well. I'll get to that in a minute. Alright, so 
The land is the religion. For the religion, which is a land to be preserved, it needs mountains. And so those mountains are going to be the Ahl Bayt That's beautiful. And we have this notion in the Quran as well. It talks about not the Ahl Bayt being mountains, but all in all how the mountains are a reason for why the earth that we're on doesn't spin into oblivion and destruction. Just like anchors and nails, these mountains, it's as if, are keeping the earth in place in its orbit and it's orbiting, or else, if that wasn't the case, it's as if it would lead to the destruction of the earth. The earth wouldn't survive. So these mountains keep it uh, fixated, this earth fixated and fixed so that nothing happens to it. We have this in Surah um Surah Al-Nahl verse 15 تَهْتَدُونَ He cast in the earth firm mountains lest it should shake with you. So uh, we have this, we have other verses as well that use the same term, that maybe like at least five or six, if not more, verses that we have that talk about these mountains being rawasi. Or we have other verses, Jibala Autada, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He made the mountains as nails for the earth, as stakes for the earth, spelled S-T-A-K-E, of course, not stakes that you eat. <laughs> stakes. What do stakes and nails do? They keep things together. They keep things fixed, or else they will fall apart. The earth would have fallen apart if there was no mountains as if. The earth would have shaken, been very shaky for us and imbalanced for us if there were no mountains. It's very interesting. It's like whenever I read these verses, it reminds me of when you want to get your um, tires balanced or your wheels balanced. Uh, they'll put it on a machine and it'll spin really fast. And then there will be parts where the machine identifies that you need to, to hammer in some weights into the wheel itself. Not into the uh, rubber tire, but into the the metal uh, wheel that uh, holds the tire. Uh, those of you who have been to the mechanics, you'll see. They'll spin it on, on, on a machine, and it'll tell you where the imbalance is, and they'll put a little weight and hammer it in, so that now this keeps the the uh, the wheel balanced. Something like that, it's as if. The earth is round, that's correct. But if you want to get very specific, you'll find that there are going to be some parts that will need, it's as if those weights or those nails and stakes, which are the mountains, to keep it balanced. Or else it's as if there'll be destruction. Or else, to say the least, we won't be able to live on this earth because it's going to be shaking too hard for us to live on it. So these mountains play a major role here. Now, now that we know how important these mountains are, the Imam here in Nahj al-Balagha, he says, وَجِبَالُ دِينِهِ That his deen is just like that earth that needs mountains or else it will lead to its destruction. Here, the deen also needs these Ahlul Bayt as mountains that will keep this deen in place or else it will fall apart and collapse. Alright, so if that wasn't enough, the Imam goes on now. I mean, we got an idea that, okay, without the Ahlul Bayt, there's like absolutely nothing of the religion left. But to sum it all up in two things, he says, Bihim aqaman hina it is through them that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala straightened the back or the bending of the back of the religion. It's as if the religion has a heavy load on it 
and it needs to carry out this big responsibility that is breaking its back, it's bending its back. The only way that it can be helped, the only way that this uh, this uh, this back of the deen can be straightened up under this heavy load is through their being an Ahlul Bayt as well. Without them, the back will break. So what's happening is Allah is reinforcing the back of religion through the Ahlul Bayt It's a very interesting comparison and metaphor here that the Imam uses. And through them, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala removed the trembling of its limbs. Now, there's different interpretations here, different ways to understand this irta'ada fara'isihi. Some have said fara'is is uh, that flesh that is on the side of an animal that when it gets, uh, I don't know if you've noticed or not, but when an animal uh, begins to shiver and, and shake out of fear or whatever the reason is, its side starts shaking and trembling. Um, some have said it's like next to the, the the shoulder of the forelegs, something something in that in that area. Others have said it's a piece of the this farais is a piece of meat next to the heart, that when a person gets uh, worried or scared starts shaking and trembling. All in all, we get the message though that one of these limbs or a part of the flesh of the body of Deen is shaking now either out of fear that it's not going to be able to get what it needs to get done done. Or, no, just all in all, it's just shaky and it needs help so that it can reach tranquility. Whatever is meant here exactly, we get the message that without it, things are not going to be calm. Things are not going to make it to their destination. Unless there is an Ahl Bayt that is carrying this responsibility on their shoulders. Helping the deen to reach its destination, which is, of course, our guidance. Now, a question here that will come up. Uh, that came to my mind, I haven't seen this in the commentaries necessarily, so I'll just share my idea here, is a question that comes up is, okay, well, the, especially the Shi'i school of thought will say that, okay, after the Holy Prophet ﷺ, the deen kind of went off track. The deen um, had Imam Ali and his descendants as the imams to follow after the Holy Prophet ﷺ. At least when it comes to the matters of Religion. Forget about the political aspect. Although we believe that Imam Ali should have been the first Khalifa even when it came to political leadership, but even if we were to compromise on that, even if we were to concede and say, okay, forget about political leadership, which is of course not the case, we don't believe in that, but if we were to just concede for argument's sake, the least that our scholars have pointed out is that the people should have gone to the Ahl Bayt for religion and to learn the religion. Rather, what happened was that the people went elsewhere even when it came to learning the religion. Forget about political leadership. We believe that the Ahl Bayt had to be referred to in that, at least in that aspect. So now the question begs to be asked, well, if this is the case, then did the religion not sidetrack here? Did it not go off the rails a little bit here? So why does it say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through the Ahl Bayt was able to make sure that the bending back of the religion was straightened. No, it wasn't straightened. It never reached the destination. The destination was elsewhere. That is what some might bring up here. Now, there are two answers that can be given in my opinion. Number one is that, well, this is speaking about the potential of things, not whether it was actualized or not. Allow me to explain that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, look, 
This is how I am going to straighten the back of the religion. This is how I'm going to make sure it reaches the destination. But he's not going to force religion on people. He's not going to force the people to follow Ahl al-Bayt the same way he doesn't force them to follow the Prophet He says, I sent the Prophet as guidance. Okay, yeah, the Prophet was guidance, but did, did all people reach the destination? No, they didn't. Why? Because in the end, Allah is not going to force things on you. But still, he says, I have sent him as guidance. I have. He is, he is the one through whom I fulfilled religion. Well, not everyone adopted that religion. So how does that make sense? It makes sense because the potential of religion helping you reach your destination. I did my part. Now you actualizing that potential is a different story. Here also, he's saying that I am going to allow this faith to be followed properly. For it to allow you to reach your destination. Of course, if you embrace it and you adopt it. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made sure that the Ahlul Bayt have the knowledge that they need to have, have the secrets that they need to have, have whatever it is they need to have to guide the people. But in the end, are they gonna are the people gonna follow? That's up to them. And so Allah did his part in straightening the back of religion. Will the people now use this religion? That's their that's their choice. So that's one answer that can be given. That is talking about the potential of it here. Or no, it can actually mean that, look, in the end, the Ahlul Bayt, they made contributions, although they weren't followed by the masses, but they made sure the, the true message reaches whoever it's supposed to reach, all the way till today, and in our times. They made sure that when things would come up that would threaten the religion in its entirety, or would threaten the pillars of the religion and the main beliefs and core of religion that they would they would fight in their way to make sure and contribute academically in their way to make sure that the faith at least is preserved in its true form for some in the future. And that's why you and I here today are sitting here and speaking of this faith and believing in this faith and loving this faith. People, uh, Imams like Imam Ali a.s. 25 years he kept quiet for the greater good of the faith. Imam Ali alayhi salam, the battles that he led and he fought against those who were trying to cause some swaying and some devi- deviation in the religion. He fought against them. All the way till Imam Hussein alayhi salam, what he did. And then after Imam al-Baqir, Imam al-Sadiq alayhi salam, after that people like Imam, or Imams like Imam al-Rida alayhi salam, all of them, Ayatollah Fatimiyyah, he has a very nice saying. He says, Imam Rida, he did exactly what Imam Hussein did. From a different angle, of course. But he saved the religion almost the same way that Imam Hussein saved the religion. Imam Hussein had to physically fight. Imam Rida had to fight academically. Imam al-Hadi, السلام, he had to make certain contributions during his time regarding certain understandings of the faith. And so on and so forth. Okay, so the Imams, all in all, each of them, each and every one of them, in one way or another, Imam al Hassan, Imam al Sajjad, I didn't mention them, uh, I just gave some examples, but all of them really, all of them in one way or another contributed to this faith reaching us in its pure form so that at least some of us can benefit from it. And those who whom it didn't reach, the true form of the faith didn't reach, of course, we will we believe that they are excused if it wasn't their fault that it didn't reach them. We can't uh, paint everyone with one brush, anyone who's not Muslim or not Shia, yet that they are doomed forever to eternal damnation and hellfire, not necessarily. Our scholars have explained this 
It depends on how much it was your fault and how much it was not your fault. But all in all, this question that, um, well, how was how how was the faith preserved when we know what happened after the Holy Prophet passed away? Um, these are two of the, I, I would say two of the answers that can be given in response to such a question. Now, having said all of that, I want to end with. Um, I just want to read the translation of the Salawat Sha'baniya that we have um, that speaks of the Ahlul Bayt and how great they are. And of course, this is from Imam Zain al-Abidin alayhi salam. This is to be recited. They recite this after, um, usually after uh, Dhuhrain or Salat al-Dhuhr in the month of Sha'ban and also on the night of the 15th of Sha'ban is recited as well. It's a beautiful Salawat upon the uh, the Ahlul Bayt the Holy Prophet of course وآله, and his Ahlul Bayt and then it gives us descriptions of them and I thought it was it would be nice to um, just read the translation of this very quickly um, now that uh, we've, we we covered this part of the khutbah where the Imam he gave us an idea of how great the Ahlul Bayt are and the uh, Salawat starts like this I'll read some of the Arabic because it's just so beautiful and then I'll read the translation. It says, Allahumma salli ala Muhammadin wa ali Muhammad, shajaratin nubuwa, wa mawdi'ar risala, wa mukhtalafil malaika, wa ma'adilil ilm, wa ahli baytil wahi. So he gives us five lines here. Then he says, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad. He recites another salawat. And then he speaks about the Ahlul Bayt again. Al-fulkil jariyah, fil-dujajil ghamirah, ya'manu man rakibaha, wa yaqraqu man tarakaha. All the way till the end. There are a few parts like this where he'll give us a few lines and then he'll say a salawat, and then he'll give us a few lines about Ahl bayt again, and he'll recite a salawat all the way till the end. And so let me read the English for you. It says, he says the salawat first, and then he says, uh, the tree of prophethood. This Ali Muhammad that I'm asking you to send salawat upon, they are the tree of prophethood, shajaratun nubuwa, the trustees of the divine mission. They're frequently visited by the angels. The core of knowledge, ma'adin al-ilm, the source of knowledge, Origin of knowledge, where you go for knowledge. Ahli Bayt al-Wahid, the household of divine revelation. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad. The sailing ships through the abysmal waves. He who embarks on them will be saved. Whoever you know gets on these ships is saved, but he who abandons them will be drowned. He who precedes them, precedes them, will miss the right path. Or whoever falls ahead of them will miss the right path. He who misses them will lose but he who adheres, adheres to them will win. You have to stay next to this, this ship. You fall ahead, you fall behind, you're in trouble. You have to stick to it. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad. The impregnable shelter, al-kahf al-haseen, that impenetrable fortress and cave that you go to that you are protected in. Ghiyat al-muthar al-mustakeen. The help of the distressed ones and the helpless ones. The haven of the ones who are fleeing from a danger. The asylum of those who seek refuge. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad. Allah send your blessings upon them. So much blessings that please them. And settle all our duties towards them. By your might and power, O Lord of the worlds. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad. Who are these Ali Muhammad? The pure, the pious, the righteous. Al-tayyibin, al-abrar, al-akhiyar. The ones who you have made their rights wajib upon us. We have to observe their hukuk and rights. And those, the obedience of whom has been deemed obligatory upon us, we have to obey them. And whose divinely commissioned leadership has been deemed obligatory upon us by you. 
And so the salawat continues. There are some du'as in the end of it. Allah Muhammad wa Muhammad. And oh Allah, fill my heart with obedience to you and do not disgrace me by acts of disobedience to you all the way till the end. But these are the lines that we have in salawat Sha'baniyah that I have noticed isn't recited as much. Back in Qum, it would be, or back home, it would, you would hear it being recited all the time in the month of Sha'ban after the Dhuhr prayers. Um, but uh, I've noticed that out here, we don't recite it as much. It is something to be recited more and more. It really uh, emboldens the rank of the Ahl Bayt uh, in our eyes. And especially on the 15th, on the night of the 15th of Sha'ban, also some have said it is to be recited, inshallah. We are ones who gain proper knowledge of Ahl Bayt, but we don't stop there. We gain that knowledge so that we know their greatness, so we follow their footsteps, inshallah, so we can secure our akhirah as well, inshallah. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.